long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there existed a podcast called Chucked. And then it came back. You thought you were rid of us, but you're not. You're not. Hello, Chucked audience. We are back after a six-month furlough. You know, last year took so much out of us to do Chuck that we felt like we had to take a six-month break, but now we're back. No, actually, uh, so many other things, particularly a church building program, has occupied so much time that everybody has been giving to it mm-hmm. um, that uh, there are just some other things we had to get done. But we're back and ready to go, restructured, rechuckered. Uh, What's we- new since then, since June, since we were last year? What's What's new? What's new? A few million dollars uh, around the church. That's new. Yeah, exactly. Um, our, our, I have a new job. You have a new job. You've changed jobs. Um, I'm, we're in the office that I'm working in currently now at Marcom, Mar- Marketing and Communications. Yeah. I'm the copywriter um, for public-facing content around Southbrook. Um, that's so new. What, when will what job include writing all my sermons for me? Will that uh, be included in that? That will come. That, with, would be that will come with uh, your salary. Okay. You <laughs> okay. Hand it to me as well. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna keep writing yeah. then. <laughs> I'm gonna keep writing. Um, yeah, we've had a lot happen. You know, we missed football season, which was really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, we missed the NBA finals too. We missed the NBA finals. Uh, we did. We missed that. And uh, as that's so, that's that is a long time ago mm-hmm. in a galaxy far, far away now. That's ancient history. Uh, but we just came off this week the national championship game, which I, being a college football fanatic, uh, out of a sense of justice, refused to watch because, wait for it, it's not about Ohio State. It's I just don't believe Georgia should have had to beaten mm-hmm. Alabama after winning the SEC championship already. That nah, is just don't do so, it to like, the dogs. No, don't no, and and you know, and I, I just think if if this you know once you go to a playoff, it's got to be meritorious. Mm-hmm. It can't be the, the inherent the implication of a playoff is okay. Now we're going to earn it on the field, and mm-hmm. big part of getting there has to be be beyond eye test. I believe Alabama is the best team, mm-hmm. but they didn't earn getting there. Georgia earned it. They yeah. earned it. And I'm fine know? with that that scenario of those four teams in, in Alabama in in the playoff if they don't stress the four criteria to get into the playoff so much, the committee. Yeah. And yeah. one of them being they stress that, you know, um, one of the main criteria is winning uh, your conference championship and strength of schedule. And that actually doesn't matter. Both of which Ohio State was ahead of uh, Alabama. Because yeah, exactly. I, I do, I test-wise, I think Alabama would beat Ohio State. Mm-hmm. But don't stress those four things so mm-hmm. much. And then just, when it's just, you know. No. Um, so we're going to get in today to subjectivity and absolute mm-hmm. truth. And yeah. is there a basis? Well, gee whiz, the college football playoff proved that there's... Mm moral relativism all over the place when it comes to that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, it's football. It doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, it's it's our little... But it robs our emotional serenity. It does. It does. I let it. Absolutely. I let it. But I didn't watch the game. And I recorded it and then didn't watch it. So I don't watch any games live except Ohio State's games because I can watch football games in a half an hour. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just love that. I've mastered the art of fast-forwarding between plays. 
opening my eyes right when I release the button and it goes right back to the snap. And you and sh- your mom laugh at me about that, but it is an art. I have mastered yeah. it. I mean, yeah. I, it's it's phenomenal how good I am at doing that. Yeah, it really is. It is. It stresses <laughs> me out. <laughs> I know. But. I know. And I just I think I need you to do that to me sometimes so that I understand how frustrating it is to watch a game. Well, when the problem is I can't that. keep my especially like if you're doing it with a basketball game. I can't keep my eye off the score like when it happens. It's like you know you know you've been looking at something, but you look yeah. at it and. Yeah. Uh, and so you fast forward ahead because of how those remote controls right. work. You know you they have to go ahead. you have to go ahead to get back to the actual spot right. you wanted to stop fast forwarding at. So, and so I always look at the score. When you're in the control. Darn, you saw, you can you can close your eyes and then it goes boom. I've got it timed right back mm-hmm. to where it goes right back to the inbounds or right yeah. back to the snap of the fall. And unfortunately, you don't have that. So I probably need to so that I can have empathy for you mm-hmm. and how frustrating. Well, no, that I've, is. I've done better because part of the reason why that always bugged me is because. I like to watch a game as a as someone of the 21st century likes to watch a game, which is I want to follow the box score on my phone while it's happening. I want and I want to follow on Twitter while it's happening live. Yeah. And when it's recorded, I can't do either of those things, and I feel yeah. lost. That's one of the, that's one of the re- in which I'm actually done better at. It's um, the fine the NBA Finals 2017 um, shifted a lot of. Uh, how I choose to consume sports and the amount in which I choose to consume sports. I've purposely not really watched much of the Cavs this year because they um, they let me down. Kyrie let me down, and um, shame are, on them you, for that. You are uh, you and, are you are a a what do you call a lover? You know, you are a lover who has been what? What do you what word would we use? Well, you're hurt. Hurt. <laughs> okay. Um, you are a hurt lover. <laughs> no, so I I, the, I, I really it, and... the finals did help me put things in perspective. I've spent far less time on Twitter. I, I, you I, have. I have. You, I, don't, you have. I, don't, I think we're I all poor for that though. Yeah. Cuz you're good you're good on Twitter. I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're uh, I think you've lost some of your following because you haven't been doing much you haven't been very active well maybe with check I'll, I'll be back but uh, okay. I, I needed I need to I needed to eject from um, you know uh, Cleveland sports and high uh, State football season uh, because the the finals last year took a toll on yeah me. it really did yeah a jilted lover that's the that's that's mm-hmm. the word I was looking for a jilted lover because I go through that yeah I go through that um, but me being much more mature than I used to be, uh, I'm 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 doing better on that. Maybe you're not to my level of maturity yet. I don't know. It's poor I don't you. Think so I don't think so. <laughs> poor you. Okay. Uh, well, we uh, have some we have some fun stuff to talk about today. And uh, for those of you who are new listeners to Chucked, um, in this new season, what we do is find an interesting subject or event from the past week in sports, arts, or society in general, and discuss what it means personally and what it means uh, to what we believe based on the authority of our two lives. Uh, our hope with this is not to persuade you, the listener, uh, to think differently or to think and believe like us, but to just think, to thoroughly consider what you believe and what uh, authority you're living your life by and how that makes you feel about the world in age you're living in. So, hot topic of this week, we'll get to it. Earlier this week was the 75th annual Golden Globe Awards put on by the Hollywood Foreign Press. The only three words that Donald Trump hates more than the Hollywood Foreign Press, as Seth Meyers said in his tasteful opening monologue, is a Hillary Mexican salad. It was amazing. 
his monologue that is really his monologue good. really was was, was it well pretty done. clean it was, was it, clean it was, it was very clean? seth meyers um yeah for I, those, I didn't watch for it, those of you who didn't watch it uh, meyers did a really good job of making everyone laugh uh lightening such a heavy theme tonight which we'll get to in a bit um Anyway, I love award shows. I always have the Golden Globes, the Oscars, the Tonys, uh, especially because I think actors are fascinating individuals caught up in a vortex of a very weird vocation. Also, there is not a more exceptional display of human behavior than award shows. And as someone who is so intrigued by human behavior, observing an award show um, and the volumes of egos that hardly fit through the regal double doors of a theater gives me the rush of consumption like a health-conscious hippie in the homeopathy aisle at Whole Foods. (laughs) And like seemingly all award shows in recent years, this one ended no different. Burgeoning rumors of a celebrity with such wealth and fame that they seem to have achieved the acme of the American dream, to be known by a single name only and furthermore run for the ever-desired and ever-more-debased presidency of these United States of America. Welcome to the 21st century man and womankind, the most powerful position in the world that which itself has turned into what feels like a reality show found its remedy, a daytime TV show host. To clarify, as of Sunday night, Oprah is rumored to pursue presidential candidacy for 2020. Now, the hypothetical Oprah presidential candidacy scenario is not the only thing I wanted to talk about today. I'd like to consider that, but also I'd like to talk about her acceptance speech that followed her receiving one out of the seemingly 97 Lifetime Achievement Awards that are given out like, well, free stuff on a certain 90s daytime talk show, if you will, between the months of (laughs) January to March. Uh, First... Let me backtrack. Many of you know Hollywood, as of late, has come unhinged, to say the least. For months, nearly every week, titans of Hollywood have fallen due to the plethora of women and men coming forward with accusations of sexual harassment, abuse, and other forms of misconduct and injustice. Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey are just a fraction, uh, for example's sake. News of such scandals has led to the social media trend me too, hashtag me too, which is intended to empower victims to come forward and unite and no longer be silent about abuse they've experienced, but to speak out and support one another. As the uh, me too trend gathered momentum, the Golden Globes was to be a platform to bring light to this dark issue, giving silent voices a worldwide stage. One way the night's attendees and nominees would raise attention was to wear black, a demonstration of solidarity and advocacy for social equality and treatment. And frankly, if I may take one moment to preach a little bit, if Hollywood or me mentioning this topic, or anyone for that matter, uh, about speaking out of any form of social injustice, especially sexual abuse, sexual or racial discrimination, annoys you in any way, you have far greater issues to address than changing the channel or not following certain Twitter links. So, Every nominee that addressed the mic as a category winner championed the call to change the way people of opposite sexes and races treat one another, to put it mildly. The raising of the social alarm would ring out and climax towards the end of the night when when Oprah accepted the Cecil B. DeMilla Award for Lifetime Achievement. Now, the ending of her speech, uh, we're going to paraphrase and play for you um, and uh, get to talking about it. So here we go. But we also know that it is the insatiable dedication 
to uncovering the absolute truth that keeps us from turning a blind eye to corruption and to injustice. To, to tyrants and victims and secrets and lies. I wanna say that I value the press more than ever before as we try to navigate these complicated times, which brings me to this. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. And I'm especially proud and inspired by all the women who have felt strong enough and empowered enough to speak up and share their personal stories. Each of us in this room are celebrated because of the stories that we tell. And this year, we became the story. But it's not just a story affecting the entertainment industry. It's one that transcends any culture, geography, race, religion, politics, or workplace. So I want tonight to express gratitude to all the women who have endured years of abuse and assault because they, like my mother, had children to feed and bills to pay and dreams to pursue. They, they, they're the women whose names we'll never know. They are domestic workers and farm workers. They are working in factories and they work in restaurants and they're in academia and engineering and medicine and science. They're part of the world of tech and politics and business. There are athletes in the Olympics and there are soldiers in the military. And there's someone else, Reese Taylor. A name I know and I think you should know too. In 1944, Reese Taylor was a young wife and a mother. She was just walking home from a church service. She'd attended in Abbeville, Alabama, when she was abducted by six armed white men, raped and left blindfolded by the side of the road, coming home from church. They threatened to kill her if she ever told anyone. But her story was reported to the NAACP where a young worker by the name of Rosa Parks became the lead investigator on her case. And together, they sought justice. But justice wasn't an option in the era of Jim Crow. The men who tried to destroy her were never persecuted. Reese Taylor died 10 days ago just shy of her 98th birthday. She lived, as we all have lived, too many years in a culture broken by brutally powerful men. For too long, women have not been heard or believed if they dared to speak their truth to the power of those men. But their time is up. Your time is up. Your time is up. And I just hope, I just hope 
that Reese Taylor died knowing that her truth, like the truth of so many other women who were tormented in those years, and even now tormented, goes marching on. It was somewhere in Rosa Parks' heart almost 11 years later when she made the decision to stay seated on that bus in Montgomery. And it's here with every woman who chooses to say, me too. And every man, every man who chooses to listen. In my career, what I've always tried my best to do, whether on television or through film, is to say something about how men and women really behave, to say how we experience shame, how we love and how we rage, how we fail, how we retreat, persevere, and how we overcome. I've interviewed and portrayed people who've withstood some of the ugliest things life can throw at you, but the one quality all of them seem to share is an ability to maintain hope for a brighter morning, even during our darkest nights. So I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too, again. Thank you. Now, uh, let me get to more specifically the topics that, have, uh, that I've drawn from that. I felt increasingly good vibes as I watched the show. Part of this may have been due to the Whole Foods fudge-filled chocolate chip cookies I nuked and consumed throughout the show. The other part was instead of watching a show made up of political opinions and criticisms, I watched a show of humans behaving in a humane way, supporting each other's pain, shame, and secrets. Methods not so different from characteristics you'd find in the latter part of Galatians 5. However, my good vibes were deflated when I developed questions towards the end of Oprah's speech. What authority does Oprah have, or more specifically, by what authoritative foundation is she speaking from? And why should I give her my trust based on what I believe to be my authority? After all, that is what she was asking for me, for us, to trust her. And by listening to your message this weekend, Dad, ten hours earlier, I, um, the one about the character of Christ, about essentially why I should further my following of him, I don't know how to feel about the Oprahs of the world, male or female, it doesn't matter. I don't know how to feel about them as leaders. And uh, let, me, let me explain upon that before I go further. I must say I agree with everything Oprah said because it was gold and she was right. My struggle is not about what's right or what's wrong, but the origin and location of the advocator. Where is it coming from and what is its motive? It's well known that Oprah was raised in 
the Christian faith, but any small amount of Googling, one would quickly summarize her spiritual belief as a vague agglomeration of beliefs that coincidentally or not well suits a public figure whose business is attracting people from as many demographics as possible. A hard stance on such a controversial historical figure such as Jesus of Nazareth is probably not good for the people business at large, especially when so much bad in history was associated with his name. From what I gather, her belief, or more accurately, her beliefs currently, is that there are multiple ways one can attain eternal life, and forgiveness only comes from oneself, not a God. I find those beliefs slightly contradicting to the Gospels of Christ and the words of his disciples. Oprah's religious history implies choice. She, like many of us, has a choice. To profess Jesus as the authority of everything, including what we do and what we do not do. We have that choice to choose or not to choose. And if the choice is made not to accept him as Lord, what good is the good one does? Or just as you're saying, Dad, the rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. This is not a discussion about Oprah's salvation. I don't have the right to talk about that. This is a discussion on what kind of leader I want to follow and what that leader's business is. I can't help but have questions when I hear what I heard Sunday night on NBC. Honestly, it's not too far from the questions and feelings I had in listening to your message, clear head, full heart, Sunday morning. However, that message and its advocator had a foundation I believed in, operating from a truth, a singular truth. Any good done in this context we're looking at, done outside of his name or credited to not credited to his word or authority is either one of two things, a calculated, polished, unarguable way of promoting oneself, a way to contrast the current commander-in-chief's behavior, or it is moralism, which is built on self-belief and willpower, two things that are proven to be unsustainable and faulty, and I believe just plain ignorant. In a way, Oprah is playing the same game as Trump. Both have faced opposition with more power. Trump, a liberal African-American, and Oprah, rich white men. To answer the answer to what they respectively see as America's problems, their own ideology and figure. Trump said, give me authority and I'll fix it. Oprah, if truly running for the Oval Office, is saying the same thing. Give me authority and I'll fix it. Both don't sound so far off from a narcissistic message. Now, the way Oprah has chosen to live her life is far more morally superior to Trump, obviously. And what she promotes is, of course, the antithesis of him. And the moral antithesis of Trump is a pretty damn easy sell, if you ask me. Before we dig into it anymore, let me summarize with these thoughts. America is still an adolescent, still figuring out what does and does not work in this lab rat equation. And dad was nice and polite for the last eight years. But he didn't wear the pants in this 21st century family dynamic. America wants its mother now. So maybe my discomfort came from the potential spiritual danger if she or someone like her does run. The danger if she does run, she will without doubt be seen and treated as society's savior, far more than Obama ever was. Why is this dangerous? One reason, Oprah's a human being, not a social savior. Two, because Oprah is not promoting the changing of policy, she's talking about the changing of the human heart, behavior, and condition. And I, as a follower of Christ, don't trust her authority. America, in its position of president, needs a leader of the truth, not a therapist of a hodgepodge of religions. I obviously have no answers, only the desire for a discussion, because 
this is where I'm lost. And if you're like me in this way, that you believe Jesus is who he said he was, and no one has eternal life except through his forgiveness, and as a byproduct of that, you live a good, humane life in his name, then think with me, what good is good done for good's sake if it's not done in the name and or credited to Jesus Christ? So that's the topic we've brought up today. A lot to come from that. What are your thoughts? Well, good thing that you're talking to me because I have all the answers. No. Um, Nothing like entering the new year after a six-month layoff with a really shallow subject like this one. It's a real softball. Well, you know, Google has as its motto, don't be evil. What's the inherent problem with that? Because what I call evil and what you call evil may be two different things. How do we decide whose evil is really evil? Usually that gets decided by who's stronger. Right? Mm-hmm. Dylan Klebold, when, before he shot all those kids in Columbine in 1999, celebrated Nietzsche's nihilism. Isn't this great that the strong survive? That, you know, lions eat gazelles and kids shoot kids. What does it matter? It's no different. Because nihilism teaches, humanism teaches that we are our own authority and how that gets determined is really, we don't like to say this, but it's who's stronger. Who's stronger? And uh, I think your question is valid because without a basis of reality, reality becomes usually pragmatic interpretation discovered, and I say that with quotations, through force. So, um, you know, the question that so often comes down, I think it's inherent behind all of our superhero movies, is who has the right to be in charge of the world? Hmm. Who has the right to say sexual harassment is wrong? Because to somebody, that doesn't seem all that wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I, Ravi Zacharias, the theologian, has an, has an interesting synopsis. He says, when we teach people that naturalism is true, that we've evolved from nothing more than primordial slime, and we've told them objective values do not exist. You decide what's right and wrong for you. And we have told people that there is no ultimate designer, no transcendent basis on which to find what life is about, what life's intention is, purpose is. Why are we surprised when we see the hell that is unleashed by that kind of philosophy? Because it's so relative, right? What time is it? Well, your watch may be off five minutes from what my watch says. Whose watch is right? Well, we have a standard that, uh, you know, that says this is what time it is. You've heard me say this. I put a gallon of gas in my car. How do I know what a gallon is? Because we have a standard of weights and measures in Washington, D.C. that says, transcendently, this is what a gallon is. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, you and I have chosen to believe that when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that he became the basis, like you said, for what Oprah said is true, mm-hmm. I think. But if there's no transcendent basis upon which to establish that truth, it's just utterly up for 51% rule, right? If 51% says it's true, then it is. Mm -hmm. But what if you're a Jew living in Germany in 1939? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're not in a position of strength. It doesn't matter what you think about the value of people born Jewish. Because the power says you're not worth anything. And we're going to, our final solution to humanity's problem is going to be to eradicate you. And, um, yeah, and that's, you know, that's the problem. Ravi Zacharias talks about a conversation he had with a guy where he said, you know, uh, I, 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 why do we need to have absolute truth? And, you know, why do we need to have coherence is, was the question. Why do we need to have coherence? Do, isn't coherence, meaning logical deduction, coherence, isn't that a, just an, a construct of Western ideas? And you're just, you're just using words is all you're doing. And Ravi asked him, he says, well, do you want my answer to your question to be coherent or incoherent? I mean, we say we want relativism. Each one, you know, Oprah used the phrase, her truth, your truth, which I understand how you see things. Mm-hmm. But is, is there a the truth? <laughs> is there a reality? Mm-hmm. And, of course, we believe... There can't be two truths. There can't. And, you know, Richard Rohr has, I, I think, appropriately brought the, dis- the, di- the dialogue up about dualism. Dualism is... It, it says that there are times when some things that seem to be in opposition can both be true. And I, and I, think, I think, you and I talked about this, that's, I think that's true in the sense that we don't know everything. As Paul said, we see through a glass dimly. Mm-hmm. But even the statement, there is no dualism, is a statement of binary truth. Okay, so there either is or there isn't dualism. Mm-hmm. You know, and... I think what we're living in is a church that saw itself as our job is to establish the moral basis for how everyone should live. And the rejection of that is what we're seeing in our culture. We didn't earn the right to say to people who don't believe what we believe, you should live this way. We haven't earned that right. And so we're seeing, to me, the rejection of that in the rejection of any dualistic thinking, any binary thinking, any absolute thinking. And, and I think it's interesting, we're seeing the clashing of that, right? Like we want relativism, we want boundaryless, we're free life, but oops, wait, 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 wait a minute. We, but you're, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You, you can't say suggestive things in the office. Well, we shouldn't say suggestive things in the office, but, but we're crashing against that we know we need boundaries, right? We call it a free way because we drive on it southbound in a southbound lane. 
And when people don't drive southbound in the southbound lane, when they drive northbound, it's no longer a free way. There are going to be collisions that happen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I love this topic because um, she says the time, you know, the times they are, in the words of that famous philosopher Bob Dylan, the times they are a changing. Yeah, they are, and it's and I think it's cool. I love it. We're ending an era when, when you know, crude jocularity and the abuse of the weak mm-hmm. is is ending. There's mm-hmm. so many things that are great that are happening in culture. It'll, that's where I felt lost. As you know, it, as it, I talk about that buildup, I was feeling good through the night, right? Yeah, and. Wow, you know, if Oprah was president, do I think the climate would be different for the better? I think so. I don't know what she knows about war, yeah. or, but that's what right. That's what your you know, people you work with are for, but um, or policies or government or whatever. But um, but it sure, I'll be better. And that's where I and that's when those questions started coming. Of, mm-hmm. but if, if if this is just this, as I said, agglomeration of just beliefs. And whatever God you have is right. These are essentially things I've just thought up on my own, that I think this is how we should live. And I am the one saying my solution for the Western world's problems is me and what I've thought up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great if it's something that's come from right those 66 books or the, for me, is what I believe as the truth. But the Oprah truth or the those like her that are saying I'm, I don't, that's where then I started feeling less good. I started feeling deflated. So what are we to think about for people in our position of uh, what we believe? Um, what are we to think about the authorities and following them, learning from them, that do not have a Christ foundation, that don't, that don't come from that, that might be adopt things that mm-hmm. that are, that make them, as I said, an easier sell because mm-hmm. everything she's selling is she wouldn't have without Jesus. But it's true. I mean, she's not she's, crediting him. Right. She's breathing his air when she says that because, for example, as you've heard me say, in ancient Rome, women had no rights. Mm-hmm. They were property. Mm-hmm. So even when we say that as a culture, guess who brought, Who guess who utterly established the value of women and children and the sick and the infirmed in, in the world? This guy named Jesus, he did. Now, it might have happened without him, mm-hmm. but historically it happened because of it. Mm-hmm. So, and I know she believes in Jesus. Mm-hmm. The problem I have with her, she believes in Jesus and. Mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, Jesus and equals nothing. Jesus and nothing equals everything. You know, that's, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, but I know she's a believer in Jesus. I think she embodies a lot of what he is. I, I, you know, I think I would like her a lot as a person. I just think she's fascinating. She scares me, you know, mm-hmm. she, I would never want to cross her cause she scares me to death, you know, but her uh, and her $3 billion worth of net worth. Yeah, exactly. She could crush me like a little ant underneath mm-hmm. a boot, you know, but I'm fascinated by this because in my growing up, I've become less moralistic in terms of, um, I'm always right. And I think that's what's cool about it is I think what we're learning is we can embrace that there is a lot of life that is ambiguous. But even in that, it's because we have a transcendent basis upon which to say, you know what? 
picking on the weak is always wrong. Not because I think so, not because culture thinks so, but because there was one who defended the weak. I have a basis for that. So that when it is advantageous for me to take advantage of the weak, I don't do that. Not because it's not advantageous to me, but because I have an authority in my life that is transcendent of opinion, of popularity, of pragmatism. You know, I can be, you know, any of us can be real moral until it's pragmatically advantageous for us not to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I, 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 this, I love this discussion. Uh, where does the authority of God come into the Golden Globe acceptance speech of the Cecil B. DeMille acceptance speech of Oprah Winfrey? And it's very relevant. She even used the phrase absolute truth and then really everything she said was not about absolute truth it was about interpretation and and, Mm -hmm. um, subjectivity Um, we're rearranging the furniture on the Titanic Mm -hmm. we're re-wallpapering the Titanic if there is no transcendence so so what does You're a history buff. You're a Christ follower. You, you respect the office office of of presidency. What do you think America needs next? And is it such a corrupt office? Is it does it take such corruption or narcissism to get there that the good men and women they don't they see the truth in that and they don't need it? Yeah, I mean, democracy gets the leaders it deserves. That's, you know, democracy is not a perfect system. Um, De Tocqueville said, if America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And the reason is, is because a self-serving people will elect a self-serving leader or leaders. And, you know, I, I always lean into... America always needs someone who's tough and tender, both. Someone who has the reality of living in a world where you may survive a day without national defense, you won't survive a week. If, if we knew what attacks happen in our, toward our country every day, we'd throw up, we'd never leave our house, we'd never get out of our basement. But on the other hand, I think where, where Trump lacks is you, you can be tough and still be tender. You can still lift up the weak, and and this is you know I grieve when I hear him uh, just run over people. That I, I grieve with that, and I grieve when I've done it in my past. I, I the thing I've told you, the thing I regret in life is the times I wasn't gentle. You know, being tough hasn't really never ever been a real issue for me, but being gentle. Um, I never regret being gentle, and I agree that. Now, of course, with Oprah, I think you would get that gentle side in many ways, and I don't mean that from a feminine standpoint. I think she is a compassionate person. I love the things she's done, and and her benevolence, her charity is just off the charts, and I'm probably underestimating her toughness a little bit. 
Uh, I do think that history shows that some of the best leaders we'll ever get are strong women. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we do. I, I do. I do think that. I really do believe that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, I'm actually intrigued by that possibility. Um, we, we certainly have come to an era where the statesman, in terms of presidency, is not really a requirement anymore. And, you know, if, if I'm objective, we could go back to Ronald Reagan. Remember in Back to the Future when Marty McFly tells Dr. Brown that Ronald Reagan is president in 1985. And what? The actor? Remember that? Are you kidding me? So, I mean, we opened this door a long time ago. Um, and now we have a reality TV star who, the other day, on the basis of I made myself a reality TV star, I'm, like, pretty smart, you know? And he is smart. And honestly, he may be exactly what we need right now. I don't know. But, man, uh, the, the possibility that Oprah could be president is very real. It's, it's, it is, it's, oh, it's, I mean, it's, if, she, if she did run, it would be a land, run, run for president. It would be a landslide. I mean, would, you know. Our country is so split. I don't think it would be a landslide. I think it would still I, be I, compared, close, Comparative but. to other elections, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's not someone who's more agreeable than, if you if you can't get behind Oprah, you look bad. Yeah. It's a bad look. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, never underestimate the... the well, certainly we've the, seen racism is not Yeah, the America, racism so. issue. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I mean... Ah, who am I? But I, I, uh, I, you know, <laughs> boy, I question that job is so big. I'll just put it this way: that job is so big mm-hmm. uh, that it's it's hard for me to see anyone short of a statesman, stateswoman, mm-hmm. being qualified for that. For example, I would see Condoleezza Rice being so much more qualified, her scope, you know, her scope of experience. Mm-hmm. She's not, she, that, like, I look at her, and I've read her stuff a lot, and I just have the highest respect for her. Her, she's not going to get into, uh, because I've been doing writing about this this week, what's called cognitive tunneling, where you, you, you don't think clearly because you're so overwhelmed by how many things are coming at you. Mm. You know, she's just got such a breadth of experience. Um, the other reactive thinking is when you literally can't focus on what's in front of you because there's just so much and you just react out of instinct. Well, her instincts have been honed and trained. Mm-hmm. You know, being in situation rooms, and I, I think of that as a comparison to uh, maybe the president we have right now, maybe the president we had, maybe what Oprah would be is, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. The level of experience is not even the same mm-hmm. as Condoleezza Rice. You know, one thing it makes me think of, and I'm on the other side of that, I, I, I said things early in this podcast that I, I think, you know, looking back, I think are, are very arguable and they're, and they're, they're kind of brash. And, and one of the things that I, I'm not so sure about that I said was, you know, a, a kind of America needing a president. Not a therapist, not yeah, a figure. Yeah, yeah. However, America's presidency was established when the world was a lot smaller, right? And what that role would be and do, the world was a lot smaller and a lot less complicated than it is now. And as you said, 
it was segregated in terms of, you know, there was an ocean between us mm-hmm. and Europe. Yeah. You there were, really you were, well, you were, well, you were yeah. telling 13 states what to do. Yeah, exactly. That's where right. to plant yeah, their you, corn. There's not an ocean right? between us and the rest of the world anymore. Yeah. And this, this office, I have no idea what it means now. For, as far as complication goes, I, don't, I have no idea. And cause especially with how, I mean, combined with how big the world is, how, how complicated uh, foreign affairs are, uh, let alone the problems we have in our own country. Maybe we don't need someone that knows anything about that. Maybe the presidency is needed just a figure, a mother, a mother who can calm when riots happen, a mother who, can, you know, because I don't, as far as the day to say decisions, I don't, I mean, we haven't burned the whole country down yet in this past year. And I don't, I don't know how competent he is in, mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in foreign affairs, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, yeah, you know, I I think there is a. I remember when listening to Bill Hybels one time. He for, for I think for both of Bill Clinton's terms, he was one of Clinton's pastoral advisors. He would come in and give him ad, advice from a spiritual perspective. And, Easy and, job. Yeah. Who? But I remember Bill saying the thing he left with after doing that was how I thought. I don't know if he used this word or not, but impotent the presidency really is. In other words, there, our forefathers set up a system that is not monarchy. Mm-hmm. That, that you know, there are checks and balances that that are great for a democracy. My conclusion from that was how important then it is that that be a figurehead that you know of leadership mm-hmm. of of the of the informal parts of leadership. The formal parts are, I have my finger on the button, the nuclear button. That's the formal part, right, Mm -hmm. of the exacting of that authority. The informal part is the moral authority you have because people trust you, they trust your character, and how important that is Mm -hmm. in the world, because you're the the leader of the free world when you're the president of the United States and in America in tenuous times. So that's how I always lean into someone who absorbs the conflict in themselves, doesn't react to it, can cognitively process it. And so what you see is someone who's being calm, who's being tough and tender both, and et cetera, et cetera, in times when people are emotional, people are mm-hmm. uncertain. And yeah, I do. I, and I, I think, you know, that's where, that's where, I mean, I think for me and my leadership, my little tiny leadership position that I have, so much of it is composure, keeping your head when everybody around you is losing theirs. That's just so much of it is mm-hmm. how you people perceive your interactions with individuals and such. And I don't think the presidency is that much different from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have such a entourage of advisors and smart people at your disposal the execution of the formal authority shouldn't be really all that difficult. Now, I say that, you know, mm-hmm. there are people that are helping you with yeah. that. The informal part is so important. Um, you know, I do a lot of reading about JFK, and, and uh, every year I read a book about JFK. I'm just fascinated by him. How broken he was, and yet how gifted he was. And I think it's pretty well known now how just broken his personal life was. I just finished a book about him that really showed how much his mom did not love him. Hmm. Did not love him. And 
the manifestation of that in a man who needed to be around people all the time, but needed the company of women. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. He was what we needed in the middle of the Viet Cong conflict, I think. A man who had had his boat, his PT-109, blown out from under him in World War II and knew how horrible war was. And he was not going to lead us more deeply into Vietnam than we had to go. And I, I think one of the things I mourn is how Vietnam may have been different. Because hmm. I just don't see, I just don't see him taking us where we went with that. And so I guess I'm, I'm rambling a little bit to say that, that I see the complexity of the people mm-hmm. involved. To be in that role takes ego. It takes mm-hmm. the audacity of saying, as you said, I'm a solution. Yeah. And that usually doesn't come with people who are our whole. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're... Oh, it's well, like it's like it's like as, a, as anyone that's a performer, it takes a bit of arrogance because you're because to do it to get on stage or to do anything like that, performance wise, artistic wise, you're saying the world would be better if I did this for you. Yeah, you that's would right. be There's an audacity and you would be better off mm-hmm. if I sh- demonstrated this for you. And obviously, I pose that it would uh, if a narcissist wanted to look better or Trump, Trump. Uh, a, 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 a gentle, gracious way would be a, would be your first pick, right? Just mm-hmm. the contrast of what he mm-hmm. is, tender, right, and strong enough to stand up to him and call him out. I don't think Oprah's that. I th- I, no, I would you know make that clear. I I not just because I um, read graphologist reviews on her handwriting. She, I mean she uh, that state that confirms that she is the person next to her first kind of person. She is her neighbor first kind of person. She is warm. Her life has demonstrated that. Do you think she's not as tough as she appears to be in public? I think her... Because I, to me, in public, she appears like, don't mess with me. Like, like don't get on the wrong side of me. Mm-hmm. Do you think that she I, is... I think, I, I think there, are, there, are, there are elements of toughness, certainly. Right? I mean, there are, there are different forms of it. I think um, if you, you know, I think if you wanted to harm Oprah... I think if you harm someone around her, I think that would ruin her, right? Like, I think because she has such a heart for people, you know, but I don't think you could harm Oprah. I, I, don't, I think her, her, the world has been so harsh to her in her upbringing, her story, what she's persevered through. It, what she's persevered through doesn't get much more inhumane than what she's been through. Um, so I think, you know, she has a toughness you know, around mm-hmm. her yeah. figure, her person yeah. that is, that I think is what we, we, you see when she's on stage alone. And there's this, you can't, you know, I am the baddest person here and I am the most loving person here. Um, but I, I think, you know, just like anyone who's, you know, tr- Trump is probably, you know, is, is in a political sense, tough in a street fight politically. Right. right. But good gosh. <laughs> I mean, you know, any of us could figure out how to get under his skin and just like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, there, you know, there, toughness is is it's there's different forms of it. I think, um, kind of concluding, I, I I trust her character. I trust her. Her 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 social beliefs, right? I I don't know 
the more I think about it, the more I hear from you and your perspective, the further I am away from seeing her or anyone like her as any form of authority if they are not operating from the only authority, the only truth. Yeah. And, and I, that's, okay, so stop there, because that's why, I, that's why I wanted to reference JFK. His internal moral compass was probably screwed up. Mm-hmm. But I do believe he believed in a transcendent authority. His interpretation of that, on a moral basis, may have been mm-hmm. really messed up, really broken. Mm-hmm. So I trust someone like that more. That you know, I use that quote that he kept in his pocket from Abraham Lincoln this past weekend. I know there is a God, and I know that he hates injustice. Mm-hmm. And that there is a storm coming, and he is in the storm. And if he has a role for me, I am ready to play that role. Mm -hmm. So I trust someone like that more who probably JFK was not as good a person as Oprah, right? I mean, that's pretty safe to say, Mm -hmm. but I, there's a part that I trust more, um, because he believes there is like Mrs. Kravitz is on the playground. So nobody on the playground can do whatever they want to the weaker kids Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Now, if, if, if Oprah were on the playground, she wouldn't want a kid being picked on either. Mm-hmm. But man, there's what's the what's the authority behind her as one of the kids on the playground? Mm-hmm. And I, I I just I don't trust someone that as much as much as I, I really like Oprah. And, and taking the trust even further, what that what that really means is that what you and I believe, Christ is our Savior. He is the Son of God. He is who He said He was. But what that means, we believe, is this, this life thing is a really, really big deal because we believe in eternity. Yeah. We don't believe in just rearranging the furniture on the Titanic, just making, just wringing out the water until we get to be as sensitive as possible so that people's feelings don't get hurt. Because mm-hmm. what good is good just because I'm a, because Oprah's a nice person. That's really it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people aren't just inherently as good as Oprah. <laughs> yeah, That's right. why we celebrate yeah. her, right? It's because like, oh my gosh, you love people. I don't love people that much. I don't care for people like you, Oprah, and I never will, mm-hmm. you know? That's why she's celebrated. But what good is that if you believe that this thing, we this business of church, this business of of evangelism, of getting the gospel to as much of the world as possible. What good is that good if it's not done and credited to him? Because this is really serious stuff we're dealing with. It's not just 60 to 80 years in this uh, speck of a timeline, right? Yeah, if all we are is, you know, if naturalism is true and there is no God and which I know she believes there's mm-hmm. God, yeah. obviously. But if, but if, if total moral relativism to is, yes, yeah, if we don't, if, if, if it's, if moral relativism is true and we don't have to credit a God, then let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Mm-hmm. If, if, he who dies with not the most toys, the biggest guns wins. Mm-hmm. And, but if you're going to answer to Mrs. Kravitz when the, Recess bell rings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And it matters 
Because what happens when you go back in the school building is somewhat affected by how you behaved on the playground. Because you're going to answer to Mrs. Kravitz. Wow, that, that just changes how the world operates. I remember I had my Old Testament professor, Dr. Stephen Hook, said the basic thing that's wrong with the world, we've lost, lost the fear of God. Hmm. We've lost that we are going to be accountable to an absolute standard of good. Good hmm. is not just a relative thing. It's based on a transcendent standard hmm. of this is what a gallon is, this is what an inch is, this is what good is. Now, the other thing too about Christ is we have so missed that mark that he atoned for us in that. So Mm -hmm. we could get into a whole discussion about Christ being the one who atones for us Mm -hmm. because we don't meet the absolute standard of good. Let's stop there because (laughs) that's a whole nother discussion because, you know, when we start talking about it, just total relativism, then we don't, then, then we don't need atonement. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then it doesn't matter what you believe because nobody needs atonement. Like you said, you know, like Jesus in means nothing and uh, believing in Jesus as a historical figure, but him raising from the dead was a hoax pulled off by some fishermen and a prostitute. As you said that then Hitler was right. Yeah. Hitler was right. And and, and I think we're still back at the same point of, you know, my problem lies with um, the noise that people are making outside of this office right now, number one. Uh, number two, not giving credit where credit's due. Yeah. When yeah. you know about him yeah. and know it comes from him, and then you choose not to accredit to yeah, him, but to accredit it to an agglomeration of just whatever sounds nice I know. Um, socially. So... Uh, we never. I don't know if we got anywhere today, other than further what furrowed in of what we believe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, we hope we are. Like as we said, we hope your intention with this is not to think like us, to believe like us, but to simply consider this very, very serious thing we're doing called life, and and, and consider the world you're living in. Yep. So, thanks for listening. And, Until next uh, time. This is Chuck.